0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the A wee Bit of Everything podcast. My name is Lewis. And my name is Clark. And this week we're absolutely delighted to welcome another special guest onto the show. But before we get started, if you do see us on Instagram at A Wee Bit of Everything podcast or Twitter at Burrell underscore mister or at Cleland Lewis 94, we'd appreciate it if you could take some time, not a lot of time, just a wee bit of time to give us a like or a retweet as this helps us get the podcast out there so that others can listen to this content as well. So Clark... Would you like to do the honours of introducing today's guest?
1: This week on the Oboe podcast, we are delighted to welcome Nicola Carfs onto the show. Nicola currently works at the University of Edinburgh. Um, her role is Deputy Head of Institute for Sport and Physical Education and Health Sciences, and she also works as a lecturer in the Physical Education Undergrad and Postgrad Courses. A bit of background about Nicola before we get started, as um, Nicola undertook a postgraduate certificate in primary education at the University of Edinburgh as well. After graduating from the PGCE year, she worked as a primary school teacher for eight years, which had developed her interest in environmental education and physical education. Whilst teaching, she also studied on the postgraduate certification in primary physical education course. Um, She then progressed on to undertaking a PhD at the University of Edinburgh as well. She completed this in 2012 and she's now working as a lecturer, as I said, as also as well at University of Strathclyde and she's been there for two and a half years. So we'll get started then, we'll get Nicola onto the, the show, so let's get her on. Right, how are you doing Nicola? Welcome to a wee bit of everything podcast, how's things? I'm good thanks, yeah. Yeah, you had a busy day. How what's it been like?
2: Uh yeah, busy. Um I've been doing some managed to get some writing done today, which is nice. Um meeting with a student and um feedback for some of our year fours on their work that they've been doing with the uh, online teaching. So yeah.
1: Good. Busy. So you, you did a bit of writing about Sport Ed or is it something?
2: No, it was, it's writing about inclusive physical education, actually, I was writing about today. So, yeah, a bit of writing about that and a self study. So, I was writing on something else this morning, a self study project we've done. So, um, yeah, not writing on sport ed just now.
1: <laughs> right, well, thanks for uh, joining us today to share your expertise on the sport education model, which has definitely gained uh, some interest amongst PE teachers that we speak to. Uh, so, before we get into, into it, then, could you give us and the listeners uh, a little background information on your career to date? We touched on the kind of, we touched on bits of it in the introduction, but it was just a brief kind of outline.
2: Yeah, thanks, Clerk. Yeah, I think you've captured most of it when I when uh, with what you've got there, but it's just giving you the the background that I was a primary teacher um, with a focus and an interest in physical education, and then as you've got that, I went and did my PhD, and then. Um, I started my academic career after my PhD at Strathclyde and that really gave me an excellent start. Um I had the great colleagues to work with there, including Aileen Kennedy, um who then I worked with at Edinburgh as well and I've been at Edinburgh since twenty fifteen and love working at Edinburgh again, a great group of people and in terms of physical education a really fantastic team to work with there. So yeah.
1: So you've worked in Glasgow, Strathclyde as well? Yeah, I worked at Strathclyde
2: as well. So yeah. Commuted
1: through though, didn't didn't move through the West, stayed in Edinburgh and commuted through. Did you? I was going to ask you that if you moved through and enjoyed the the good things that Glasgow's got to offer as well. Um, So I was a a bit wetter through here.
2: (laughs) Yes, (laughs) I agree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, well, we'll move into some sport education questions now then. So both myself and Lewis have a, a strong passion for this model and we're going to be developing resources over Easter holidays. We're speaking about that. For uh, activities that we can do once we go back like ultimate frisbee and softball stuff that are socially distant so um could you maybe like elaborate on a bit further on the aspirations aspirations of the model sorry and the principles behind sport education
2: yeah i can so um like you both um i really enjoy working with and teaching with that with the model Um i've done a lot of work on it with working with um with student teachers, with teachers as part of professional development, um, and I've done some work in schools as well with it um, I think that what the potential it has is that it's it 's inclusive, so it really embodies those ideas around inclusive practice and um, which I think are, are, are easy to to see uh, and but it's easy it's more difficult to enact in practice and I think support ed really helps us to do that and I think it speaks to um, Arnold's concepts of learning about, through and in movement, because I think that sport education really speaks to that for me, that we're learning about moving, we're learning through it, and then you're learning in movement. Mm -hmm. It also emphasises participation beyond just physical engagement, so it really speaks to the educative aspect of physical education and the cognitive, social and emotional learning um, and I think the other positive thing it does, it addresses the way that sports portrayed and presented within school physical education programs because we often see that conflation of sport with physical education and speaking to uh, young people, they'll talk about PE as sport um, and that's, that, that can be good and that, that it's good that we've got that, that relationship but actually some of the features in sport can be quite negative and so sport education really helps us think about that in a positive way.
1: Yeah, it kind of takes away from the, it's not just the competitive side, it's about the teamwork side as well and giving them roles within that, is that right?
2: Yeah, it really broadens them out. So I think that's where it's so clear in terms of the model when it talks about, it has the key concepts of competent, so that links to ideas around skills and strategies about enthusiastic so that's linked about participation and involvement and literate so that links with like the sportsmanship aspects and the values so it's for me it's picking out the best elements of sport and really emphasizing those and raising those and then you've got the key features as well um, which for me again are really clear and really helpful as a teacher to work with i think they are a bit american and um, because it's, it was developed in America but I think we can work with it and we can adapt it to the context that we're in. So the idea of a season or something lasting longer that breaks down that multi-activity block that's been so dominant where there's not that transference of learning and you know one of the teachers that I've worked with cons- in a primary context said oh well the children could have a badminton racket in their hand once in primary four and then not again until primary five. Now What's the point in that? So this gives us this idea of lengthening out the idea of seasons. It gives the idea of affiliation. So that's that team aspect of bringing our learners together, working in teams, roles within the team, really finding out what that means to be part of a team um, and teaching about that. Because I think we always presume that we can work together in groups socially, but actually we need to teach how to do that. So sport education speaks to that with that affiliation feature. Then it has the f- the feature of formal competition, so it recognises the value of competition. But because of the emphasis on um, sportsmanship as well, you can really turn that on its head. And I've had, um, particularly some of the work I've done in primary context, I've actually had teachers say when they've had classes that were couldn't cope with the competition they actually flipped it and the children earn more points for showing good sportsmanship than winning a game so you're still recognizing that competition aspect but you're teaching about it and teaching through it so coming back to those points i was making about arnold earlier then they've got the culminating event, So you really get that sense of festivity, which is another key aspect of it. So you can celebrate the participation, the engagement, and not just playing, but through um, Peter Hastie's got some great examples of um, reporters uh, the you know, and, uh, all, and st- statisticians and all of these elements coming into it. And then you've got that record-keeping element that talks to that cognitive element, that thinking, that tact, tactics side that we've perhaps not been as good at in a UK context I think as they are in an American context but it's coming in a lot more and um, so you know those features are easy to interpret and to use and to, to develop I
1: think Yeah that sounds a good way to kind of uh, talk about it there with the key features I like that with the pre-season then the, the training practices and then culminating with a, a competition a of festiv- a uh, that festivity sorry um, so see for someone that's wanting to get started with the sport education model, um, say they've got like an S1 or a S2 class there, or a BG, any BGE class. H- how would you kind of give advice for them to get started in terms of tasks that they can set or or to get it up and running? Yeah, well I
2: think, I mean, those are the key features that Sedentop Top outlines, and I think... And the key concepts that I mentioned of competent, enthusiastic, and literate are, again, there from Top. So I think it's really important that engaging with the reading that's there. And Top's work is really accessible. The other key person writing in the area is uh, Peter Hasty, And, again, his work's really accessible. And he has got lots of examples of sport education and practice. Mm-hmm. I think when you are thinking about how to implement it, um, you need to think about... Um, What's the key? What, what? Knowing your, your learners, what are their needs? What are their interests? And then linking it through, I think it also links into thinking about how do we make this a meaningful experience for our learners. So what I'm hitting on again here is a link out again to work from uh, Deirdre Conan and Tim Fletcher and Stephanie Beni around meaningful PE, and they emphasise key features of social interaction, challenge, fun increased motor competence, personally relevant learning and delight. So that again helps us to think about what, why are we using the sport ed? How do we want to use it and what are we using it for? And so that helps us then to think about how we would develop it. Uh, and what, the, what I think that then gives us is, is a, a, quite a solid framework to draw on and use for your teaching because it makes it makes us think about it being holistic. It makes us think about inclusive. It makes us think about that focus on participation. Um, can give you? Do you want me to go into a bit more about breaking it down, or do you want? That? Yeah, on you go. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So that's your kind of starting point, and it comes back to think about what, how, and why of how you're going to do it. Yeah, I like that. Then I think what. What we, would, what we suggest is that you need to think about breaking um, it down and using what we've done is really um, looked at um, some, how we might break down that big model from seed and top, I said, is perhaps quite American, Americanized. Mm-hmm. So what I did with my colleague at Edinburgh, Paul Macmillan, was we drew, broke down the model a bit more and we looked at it in terms of we thought we think there's three key components to it and the three key components we've identified are teams with roles teacher-led then pupil led practice and friendly then authentic competition and what we think you can do with that is by breaking down the model it's easier to experiment with it as a teacher and try it out because the key to sport education or any model is you need to try it out to experience it and see how it works in practice. Mm -hmm. So what we say, and, and, and by taking those components, is you can actually then teach through that element and teach to it so that you can then go into a fuller season. So if you take something like team with roles, that really speaks to a lot of kind of cooperative learning. So another model within, sport, within a physical education cooperative learning. And you can work with, the, with your learners to get them to understand the concept of team, the roles, experience that, so that they know what it's like to be in that team and you build up that experience. You could then look at, for example, the teacher-led and pupil-led practice, and that helps with that gradual shift of control because that's something that can be difficult for teachers is moving. Because sport ed is quite pupil-centred, it's how do you move from you setting up as a teacher to the learners taking more ownership of it. So if you start with it being more teacher-led and you model that, you can then develop that through with the pupils. So to give you an example of that, Um, I did some work when I was at Strathclyde in a primary school in Castle Milk and what we were looking at was the children were, we were actually using sport ed to hit across, to to, to do some interdisciplinary learning and we started with the children and giving them um, stations that they were working at, so practice stations, so it was teacher led by us but instead of talking at them, we gave them um, sheets with instructions on it for the stations, for the practice stations, and they were working in their teams, and so that really encouraged them within their mixed ability groups to work together as a team to read those instructions and work them out, and we were there then to support and facilitate. So rather than them having to listen to us, which might, they might not have engaged fully with, knowing the learners the way they were, giving them these instructions worked really effectively. What we then asked them to do was, with links to writing, to look at this as an idea of writing instructions and how you might write instructions. So they explored that, they explored how we'd written that. how we'd use images to support it. And then we started to build through after they'd had some time working with the stations, the practice stations we'd set up the children then took on ownership of designing their own practice stations. So over over a number of weeks, they started designing their own ideas for practice. And then we asked them to write that up. So it was instructions for other groups. And the teacher, the class teacher working with them was said how engaged they were, how motivated they were to read and write when they hadn't been before, because they had a real purpose for it. Mm-hmm. And they... With us modelling, they then, co- they, they, mo- then they, they modelled their, uh, their instructions that they'd written up based on what we'd done. Mm-hmm. So they could then share it and work and, and kind of share their ideas with each other. So you can see there where you, where you build up and, and you really can then support your scaffolding the children's development into taking ownership of learning.
1: Yeah, I think that's a mistake I've made as thinking I'm doing sport ed by just saying there's equipment, go and create your own games rather than me taking them through step by step. Here's examples of a station, here's examples of another station and then getting them to take part first and then maybe like bring that in two or three weeks down the line. Yeah, I think
2: I think that's so important and I I think you only learn that by experience. And For Paul and I, you know, a lot of the critique of some of the of models is in PE is, well, you've got to stay true to the model. Well, I, I don't think you do. I think you need to adapt it to suit your context. And that's why Paul and I did that work. And like you're saying, Clark, that the problem is, is, if you go in and you do it and you're trying it and you want to do it all, it becomes quite unwieldy and quite difficult. Whereas if you break it down, you're then actually teaching the skills and knowledge the understanding required to be in a team to engage in practice and then the other element the competition um, because we have to learn to cooperate before we can learn to compete and so you you really need to work through that with with your learners so you begin with that friendly competition so that they build up that experience that knowledge and that they can cope emotionally with that then authentic competition that comes with that um, and you can explore those ideas from a playing perspective from a because the children involved as referee a scorekeeper so we explore it from all those different roles which are really central to, uh, to sport that it that, that sport is not just about the perspective of the player and competition isn't just about the player but the referee the scorekeeper they all have a central role to play in that as well
1: yeah, like,
0: definitely. I like I like what you said about breaking it down because even if you're not encompassing like the full model as you said, like all those different key features of it, like the 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 pupils are still going to get so much from it. Like you can just and that's that's what I like. So I I um it was on on Twitter I think it was uh, I managed to source a, a sport ed booklet and I think it was a uh, the, the teacher that shared it it was through volleyball and um I adapted it to make it into a, a football one and um it, for, for me I, like there was loads of changes like I, t- I took out like there was loads of roles in it and i like i, I totally like kind of minimized it just to make it straightforward for me like for the first time for actually trying to teach it and um for me the the best way that i kind of found how it worked was like me leading some of the sessions first. It took me a wee while to get to get the ball rolling with it. So me leading some of the sessions first, showing the, them how I would like a warm up in that set up and actually taking them and then just kind of gradually handing the ownership over to them. And then until we'd maybe done a few weeks, I'd maybe went through a couple of sessions how I would like them to set it up. And then I gave them obviously their, their individual roles um, based on their kind of abilities and who, who felt confident like leading the group and stuff like that and who would be to being like the writing the, the team administrator and everything um, and I felt that worked given so doing the teacher-led bit first before kind of handing it over maybe spending a couple of weeks on that and um, so they kind of knew the, the, the setup of it and how it was going to run but it's something that I suppose once you've done it once you can obviously always reflect on it and then see what you could add in next to make to make it that wee bit better and also I suppose you could you could get feedback from the, the pupils as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. To, I, to think improve it. I
0: think you've hit it
2: really well there, lessons. Lewis, with your example. Yeah, definitely. I think everything you've talked through there. Sorry Clark.
1: No, I'm just saying I think I need to go and watch his lesson. <laughs> no, <laughs> no you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely don't once COVID's away. I think
2: I mean I think as well what I feel with the with us break with what Paul and I did in breaking it down what we're also seeing is you can actually embed elements of sport education and other things that you're doing. So you can actually see how this could take you over over a whole year planning. So you could start by, I'm just going to work on teams with rules, but I'm going to do that through something else. And then you could work on the teacher and pupil-led practice through some, through some other kind of... Uh, aspect you might be looking at and then do the same with competition and then you could actually put it together into a fuller sport ed season and mm-hmm. you could really work to that towards the end and that's why what we've like what I've liked to do on on most of the occasions where we've been working with sport ed is actually link it with other models like TGFU like in particular I love uh, Peter Hasty's student design games I think um, his work there really aligns very closely with sport ed and that encourages learners to design their own games and for me that then gives a more level playing field for everybody because all of the children can be involved in designing the game and then you can take that into a sport ed season.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like my my questions already kind of been answered there from the kinda, the barriers and how we can implement the 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 model effectively because obviously there is that kind of fear of handing over the the learning to the pupils and giving them a lot of autonomy like you said just taking that step back but what's your kind of thoughts then like to to break down those barriers do you think it is a case like you said maybe like the student led games or maybe breaking it down into games that are less traditional as opposed to, because not all pupils are are good at eh, basketball or confident at basketball or good at football. And that's where maybe if you get such a a mixed ability class, uh, the the model could maybe be quite hard to implement.
2: Yeah, I think that's where pairing it with something like, um, particularly student design games or... Um, or, your, or your kind of TGFU helps you to explore it and helps to level the playing field uh, with the the range of abilities that you'll have within a class. So to give you an example, we, with work I did, uh, again in a primary school context, but you could easily scale that up into a secondary context, we did work uh, in a primary school where we were we used actually rounders, which in a primary school can be notoriously badly done when it's whole class and you go out and you just play if it's nice weather. But what we actually did was start to explore the game, start to explore the rules. What did it mean? And then we got the children to adapt the game and think about their ideas for how they might adapt it, making it more inclusive, meaning that everybody was engaged and moving, And um, so there wasn't long periods of time where people were standing mm. and, and not doing anything. And the ideas that they came up with were, were brilliant. So then they decided amongst them which game they wanted to go with because they were in groups and they decided, they decided voted on which one. We worked at, de- at developing those rules and understanding those rules and then we put it into a sport ed season. So the ownership of the children was so much greater, particularly because they'd negotiated the rules of the game as well. That's your other problem with, with sports, if you're using them as is, is that the it's the, it, the problem can come around the competition when it's well that's what the rules state and, what, and the rules and we're playing by, by rules that are that are for, a, are for a sport an elite sport not for what we're doing yeah, exactly. with, with young people so for me I always think about it being developmentally appropriate so that's why we'd use something like rounders in that example I gave you and the children then design the game had ownership of the rules and it made the sport education season easier to run because they had that common experience
0: so see when you're like giving the pupils that task to do, do you just get into like working groups during the pe lesson to come up or do you give them like time in the classroom to to try and come up with these ideas or how, how much time I'm, I'm guess would you kind of dedicate to that kind of thing because that's where i think a lot of time could be consumed when you're trying yeah, to implement so like these models the,
2: I mean, for me, it comes back to that point that I made at the beginning about in, through, and about movement. And the beauty of actually teaching in a primary school context is we, those lessons were both outside, because we, we were doing it outside at the time, so outside being physically engaged in it, and inside in the classroom. So there was a combination, but most of it was outside and we started by so what we started doing as well was we started with a big game of rounders and we put Mm -hmm. them in that uncomfortable situation and then started to unpack that with them so we played it and then we came in and talked about it we're like well what what was good about that what wasn't good about it and then we started to unpack all of that then we started on working with them in teams so that um they could start to then have some time to design their own games and this doesn't happen quick you know you're looking at maybe a couple of weeks work with them working in teams Trying out game ideas, we would do some practice with them as well. So there was a combination we were doing some practice with them around some of the key um, skills uh, required for related to kind of rounders. Um, so striking that, catching that kind of thing. We did some work mm-hmm. on that. Then put them in their groups to work on their ideas for the game. They then mm-hmm. shared that game idea with other with the, with other groups. That was all done physically and outside. Mm-hmm. And then once we would got into kind of some of the negotiation of when we'd voted for the game and discussing the rules, some of that was done inside, where we where we explored the rules in a classroom lesson, talking about the rules, understanding that, so that. There was some clarity around what, what how they worked, so that we could then go out and try it again. So we're modelling that actually. You know, physical education is about being physical, but you yeah. also have to spend some time thinking about these aspects if you're going mm-hmm. to put them into practice. So
0: no, I, I like that how you said you, they can uh, you split them into to groups and they discuss that, and then they got to practice it in their own own groups, and then giving them the opportunity to to um, deliver it to to others in the class. That's a great idea. Yeah,
1: yeah. I was just thinking. Think oh, sorry, when you go. Oh, Clark, no, no. I was just thinking because we were going to get get together and plan a like a softball block when we go back. So it just had me thinking. It might be it might be a good thing for the the people who's in their groups to come up with ways where like they still can remain socially distant and make sure they're not contacting each other at the bases. So they could come up with different rules that they need to go running a bit of Hula hoop or something. Or um, so <laughs> probably think a, good, a good time actually. So I think that's know. a great idea.
2: I mean, and even when we did. We've done this with students and we did volleyball as well Lewis um, and we have got a big a volleyball resource around that but even with the students that we were working with our patients students we broke it down again and we made a basic throw and catch game with 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 volleyball with from a volleyball perspective because again, what we're emphasizing to students if you go in there with volleyball particularly at BGE, yeah, they're not gonna be able to engage with it. But if you if you modify that into something that's more developmentally appropriate and accessible for all, then it, then it works better. The mm-hmm. other thing I'd be really interested to do, um, just thinking about the work I've been doing around inclusive physical education is, I think there's real potential to use disability sports and disability activities in sport education. So things like sit, sit, sit down volleyball, Mm. Again, what you're doing there is you're, you're educating our young people about different activities uh, uh, teaching to a range of activities and leveling the playing field for all yeah. so that, you know, if you think about it for a number of young people who might struggle with throwing and catching, if we're all sitting, then, then, then we're getting one thing out of the way and we can, <laughs> we can focus okay. on something else. Um, so you know, there's there's these. I think it would be interesting to explore that a bit further as well.
0: I think that's where half the problem comes from in, in BGE in my in my experience anyway. And I know it's not a, 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 a an in depth experience, but I think it's about like you said, leveling the playing field and trying out these non traditional activities and. Um, just like what you just spoke about there, I think that's a, a great idea and something to, to consider because it's not, you're not always going to go into a school where it's like a, a high performance school or they've got a school of sport or anything like that. Like some schools are a real a real range of abilities and it just becomes so demotivating for some kids.
2: And you're still linking to sport and the principles of sport and that's the beauty of sport education. Ah. It, it captures those all those positive and good elements. Um because you know I'm a spectator of sport and I enjoy it but I also know there's a negative side to it and I think what sport ed does is capture those positives brings that through but for us as teachers we have to think about well how do we enact that and, and is actually the full sport the best way mm. actually I would argue modifying it and then still you know linking to the sport and pulling all those elements of sport through we can still learn about it
1: yeah for sure yeah and you're hoping you're hoping the kids who really enjoy the, the traditional sports can then develop the practice clubs outside school for the one-off performances later down the line so they're not missing out completely
2: absolutely Claire, and and they're learning the skills beyond the the player so they're learning about the coach the you know the 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 scorekeeper the referee they know what it feels like to be the referee and so they know the importance of sportsmanship because there's another issue with sport outside of the school context that you know the 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 kind of sportsmanship the refer- these kinds of elements and a uh, Paul talked because Paul's got a rugby background he said you know they really struggled and the rugby he was involved with of finding people to be you know lead captains you know coaches and so they they'd had to send everybody on leadership courses where uh, well well if we teach through sport ed this way we can actually teach those skills around coaching and leadership and build that through so you are linking to those pupils that might be you know elite performers and good perf- and high performers outside of the school context but teaching about the wider aspect of sport
1: yeah i think that's a good a good point um it's, it's funny when you put them into that role as the referee they then understand how hard it is don't they yes <laughs> no, i know you i know
0: it's a job i certainly don't envy anyway
1: <laughs>
0: Not for no me. Right then, that kind of takes us on to my next question then, Nicola. So what do you feel are the the kind of common myths or barriers within sport ed and PE at the moment? And kind of how do you see the subject moving forward post-COVID?
2: So I think, you know, from what we've discussed there, to summarise kind of the myths and barriers I think for sport ed is that I think there's so much literature around sport ed and I would advise anybody to go and have a read of it. There's really interesting research from a range of contexts and it's really useful. And I mentioned the two key people there, Um, you know, Seed and Top is the kind of first port of call for it. And then Peter Hastie's work. As I said, there is a debate in the literature about the fidelity of the model um, but I think from my practice and my experience of it, I think it's important to break it down. I don't think that dilutes the model. I think it makes it easier to implement and you work up towards something fuller with, with your sport ed season. And I think you and the pupils will gain more from it. I think we know that you know a potential barrier is you know, the high stakes assessment and having to cover content. But I actually think that sport education can perhaps does actually offer us something at that level as well. And it takes time, but it offers a pedagogical approach that's a positive model of teaching for young people that can still cover the content. And if you think about, you know, the, the, the features I said that from Seed talks model model, you know, around those elements of um, record keeping all of these elements together, you can see how you would be able to cover content as well in other aspects. And it's looking at it as that, as a possible pedagogical approach. I think provides learners with greater ownership of their learning, um, and I think therefore, there's a the potential for more engagement, more motivation to learn, but it's difficult, as you've identified as well, to relinquish that control as the teacher at times. Um, so it's, you know, you've got to go with the flow of it, um, allow the young people to problem solve through the authentic situations that'll emerge so if they're not getting that's why if you break it down and look at team with roles first they're not getting on you can actually have that authentic conversation with them and learn about well how do we get on how do we because we're not always going to be able to shift team when we're out in the real life you know you we all know that and you've got to find strategies for coping and getting through that so we provide an authentic context for them and the example I gave you in, um, of the school in Castle Milk, I mean, this this class really struggled to get along with each other, and the teacher said they'd gone out, they'd had this massive fallout outside in the playground, and then they were so desperate not to lose their time and for their sport ed that they were they they were kind of it motivated them to sort through their issues, and then they could then they they went in their teams and they worked fine together. But there was a you could see the motivation that was there for them to do that and how the teacher could, could use sport Ed as a way of, of looking at that. Yeah, that, um,
0: that, that was one of, the, one of the issues I had. I had a class that they, they didn't really get on and they kicked up a stink when, I had, when they came in and I had the teams written up on the board. It didn't go down well, so we had to um, adapt and, and reorder them. <laughs> we only did it once, so I, didn't, I said, <laughs> if, if we have to reorder them again, we're, we're scrapping it. <laughs> Everyone, what, reorder? Yeah, no, I had to I had to change the teams the first time because it was a disaster. But, All right, um, this, is, al- this to, is the last time I we'll have it. Aye, says, or I don't know, One
1: of the sport ed. <laughs> oh, <but> that's, <laughs> that's a great point you made, Nicola, about the authentic conversations that you can have. Because I've had that people want to move groups, but then try and encourage them to find the strategies in the moment. And I can help them What yeah. with the strategies to to overcome them, so that's a great great point you've made.
2: Mm-hmm. I think PE is great for that, it, it's, it's authentic real context where, where we're in these situations socially and emotionally and how do we actually deal with that and you can actually, it's a real situation mm-hmm. uh, that has that has implications beyond that physical education context.
0: That's great Definitely.
2: Lifestyle. Definitely. Um, and Lewis, so you're saying post-Covid, is yeah. that what you were saying? Yeah,
0: yeah that was the a kind of second for what part of the question.
2: Um, So I think what we need to think about post-COVID is we need to remember not to conflate PE with health and sport and physical activity because it's linked and these elements are important. But physical education is that it's, it's about being physically educated. So I think for me, PE is about that study of human movement so that we can better understand ourselves, others, our body, our identity and make those links, as I was saying, that PE offers us authentic links to real life contexts and situations. So it's not just about, you know, playing games and it's, uh, there's actually some real um, social, emotional, cognitive learning that that goes on in that context and and that physical aspect. I think COVID has pushed us to think differently about movement and being physically active within PE. And I think I'm seeing a nod to a broadening of the kinds of movement experiences that we're providing for young people. but we need to consider carefully the teaching and learning through those movement experiences. So, you know, a colleague was saying you know, in the primary school, they're, they're doing yoga. And I, I, I mean, I'm a big advocate of that I, I discovered yoga over lock, lockdown and I am loving it. I've got a great teacher and it's been so great for me. But we need to teach it. We can't just... And we need to talk about why we would be doing it, how it links to embodiment, how it links to our understanding our bodies about human movement. Um, So I think those are things that we really need to consider and just to give you an example, one of the courses that I'm leading on at at the university just now, we had to, to change to online learning and I've had some practical experiences in the course where we were exploring a kind of more aesthetic perspective of P in the past we'd done, uh, we'd looked at it through pickleball, through dance, through parkour. Obviously, we couldn't do that this year, so I had to think differently. So what I was asking the the students to engage in was to more critically engage with being physically active, and I picked up on aspects like walking, but asked them to think about where they were walking, why they were walking, plan it out. Then I asked them to develop um, walking stories. Um, And that was linked to them um, accessing a website, um, uh, Black Girls Hike. So we were starting to look at some of those social justice issues around it. I got them to engage with Joe Wicks, PE, but critically engage with it. and think about what did it offer, what did it not offer. I got them to engage with being physically active on different digital platforms and what they thought about that. They did some yoga when we were looking at embodiment, but that was part of understanding embodiment, understanding human movement and, and the study of that. Um, so you can see that you need, I think there's a range of activities and it's opened things up, but we need to think about, uh, back to what I said at the start, what are we teaching, how are we teaching it and why are we teaching it?
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, relevant, especially with all the kind of the, the different physical activity things that were going on over lockdown, like you say with PE, with Joe, like it could just be so easy to path that off as like meaningful physical education almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I suppose it could go in that direction, okay. but we need to kind of, Remember what it actually what the purpose of it is.
2: I think so, and I think you know PE with Joe is fine, but it's not PE.
0: Yeah,
2: it's physical activity, and mm. to to call him the nation's PE teacher, I think also is has connotations around you 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 and I know the work that goes into being a PE teacher and mm-hmm. the study that goes into that that you can't just put, put yourself out there and do some physical activity and say that you know I think yeah. we can u- and in physical education we can utilize and and, and use the work that, that that use that as a resource yeah. but it's remembering what it what it is
0: mm-hmm. Aye, because yeah. always it's easy to stand in front of a camera and do is that a preempted empted routine, and you don't have to deal with any behavioural issues, or like you <laughs> said, deal with those real teachable moments that you have to, you have to engage with on a daily basis. Actually, as a teacher, and deal yeah. with that, that sort of that side of it almost.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: I think someone who is physically educated as well would need to show the and demonstrate the the correct levels and all the benchmarks. So I don't think by just doing the workouts you're going to hit them all. No, yeah.
2: and it doesn't speak. To, it speaks to the physical. But it yeah, doesn't speak, I exactly. don't think, to the social, emotional or cognitive aspects.
1: So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. So, right, moving on to the last question then. If, if we are to achieve what you've set out there and making sure that we go back to the human movement side and, and that embodiment, what would make a high-quality teacher so great then, going back to school to help So,
2: achieve? well, what I think is, I think it's got to be somebody who's flexible. I think somebody who's adaptable, um, a critical thinker. Um, and I think who embeds um, inclusive pedagogy within their practice so that y- we're addressing those kind of social justice aspects as well that we look yeah. at and I think you know, just reflecting back on the, the work that I do in the university and the, the students I'm working with we've just you know thinking about our year four students just now you know the, for one of their courses they, they've produced visions they, they produce visions as an assessment and you know, I think looking at their visions, they really, it's it, it's, good, its heartening to see the way they're thinking about physical education um, and that they're thinking about kind of those broader ideas around it, that holistic, that participation, inclusion. Um, they really value the educative value of physical education. And then also looking at the kinds of work they've been doing, um, developing digital teaching and learning with, the, with, the school, with working in the school placements you know that, that's been really difficult for them and, and, and for schools as well to, to make that shift but what our students are producing you know they're, they're understanding that and thinking critically and thinking about how they develop that through so it's been positive
1: to see that as well. I think in terms of the digital learning side and the digital learning pedagogy that might have been developed at a quicker rate than what it would have been in the normal times do you think? So it, might, it might come in handy later down the line.
2: Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think, I I, I mean, I was all right. Last year, I was getting the students to do some uh, one of the assessments for one of the courses I do is is a multimedia assessment. So they submitted a presentation that they've done and and a kind of video essay style. And then this year I'm doing that again, but getting them to engage in some of the video capture. So they're learning these digital skills as well as being assessed. And all of this is relevant for the current context that that we're working in. And I, I don't think that this kind of digital learning is going to go away. I think that schools are now becoming, are quickly coming up to speed and on the platforms they're using the, the the digital resources that they've got and I think the more you use it the better you get at it and I think we'll be seeing more use of that um, in the future.
1: Yeah I think a blended approach is the best way from in my experience um, using, I'll continue to use a Google classroom and once we're back you know so yeah It'll come in handy for them, I'm like sure. <laughs> I
0: think it's also like just getting over that that fear of just trying something new with like the kind of technology that's out there, like what was that I was I was having a mess about with that padlet similar to Jamboard and just having a play about with the different resources and just can they're quite straightforward and user friendly and how to use them.
2: Yeah. And it shows you've got to be adaptable. Like we can't. Yeah. It's something you can't actually. I don't think the problem with the digital technologies and platforms is I don't know if you can actually teach it. I think you need to experience it and use it and try yeah. it and do it, mm-hmm. which is where as a teacher you need to be adaptable. and willing to go with the flow and accept change that it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's ongoing. So yeah,
1: I yeah. just take, so that you, sure. you said flexible, adaptable. Going with the flow and inclusive pedagogy. That's just the sort of main point. But that actually takes me back to what you were saying in the previous answer about going with the flow. That's what I love about SportEd, is you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I, yeah. I, quite, I quite like that responsive teaching side. That it, but it's not oh yeah, I like just reacting in the moment to what's what's going on. So. It's the
2: best kind of teaching. Responsive teaching when you get oh, mm. I love it when you you are there in the teaching moment and you're being able to respond and um, pick up on the learner's points and then
1: go with that. I think that's that's the best teaching. Yeah, it makes it real, makes it authentic, yeah. as you said earlier. Yeah, no, sure. I just brought back to that when you said that there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I hope when you were talking about flexible um, as a high quality teacher, you weren't talking physically, because I think me and Clark would be snickered. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm sad, no, if,
2: if you get onto the yoga, I'm telling you, that's
0: it. <laughs> yoga, with Adrian. I, I, yeah, Not yoga, with Adrian. With I, I, I've done a few yogas, with Adrian.
1: Moses has been doing a lot of them because he was wanting to co- copy the introduction to that for the podcast. Quite like is it? Yeah, they're
0: actually. Oh, brilliant well Nicola that kind of rounds us up nicely for the kind of main body of the podcast we always finish off each episode with a quick fire round of three questions that we ask all our guests and um, so just three quick questions for you you don't need to link directly to sport ed or anything we've been talking about they're just okay. random for a wee bit of fun so if you could have a giant billboard in your hometown what would it say
2: so I was born in Inverness and I, I am a big Inverness Caledonia Thistle supporter right. so I wouldn't actually have a I would have something on it, I would have one image and it would be the image of us winning the, to, to, the, winning the Scottish Cup in 2015 and lifting it because we need some inspiration right now. We are sitting in the, in the relegation zone of the championship. Yeah. So oh. that was a big highlight for me and for Inverness. So that is the picture I would have on the billboard.
0: Brilliant. <laughs> That's uh, relevant for sure. Right, number two then. <laughs> what people or books have had the greatest influence on in your life?
2: So the people, obviously friends, family, my partner, my sister in particular is a a big influence on me and uh, she's a social worker and she's just, um, she's so good at her job and so knowledgeable and I'm just so proud of her because she's, had, um, she's had some difficulties because she's visually impaired. So I supported her when she was going through her studies to be a social worker. And so she's had to adapt in loads of ways. So she's been a real influence on me. And professionally um, is Mike Jess, who I still work with at University of Edinburgh. And he gave me the, P- the opportunity to do my PhD. And he's just been central to my academic work since. He's believed in me. He's been there for me, supported me. He's been a mentor to me. And yeah, great person to work with.
0: Brilliant. Love it. What advice would you give to a teacher thinking of adopting a brand new sport ed block with a BGE class?
2: So I would say break it down, focus on implementing those elements that I talked about and, and implement them separately or join them up in bits. Team with roles, teacher them, people led practice and friendly then authentic competition. I think link it to student design games i think that creates a more level playing field for all and i think has a potential to engage and motivate learners more and uh, listen to the pupils be responsive to them and uh, then you'll get more engagement uh, in the in the sport ed season and sport ed
0: yeah i love the bit about leveling the playing field unless you've got a class that are all um, football players or basketball players then um, leveling the playing field, I think, is a, a great a great way yeah. to start it. I think that's um, some some good advice for him trying to
2: have those honest conversations. That's what we did with the with some of the work we did. Because I think we did a rugby one as well with um, a primary school class. And what we did at the start was go right, who plays rugby outside the school, who's had some experience of rugby, who's got none, and then we mixed the teams through, and we had the co- we had that honest conversation of you're not all going to be good at it, but there are some people that are really good and there are some people who are who have never tried it before. And so you have an honest conversation about it. I think mm-hmm. that's
1: what we need to do as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think what I'm going to take away from this is like breaking it down into parts when we go to develop that uh, booklet we're going to mm-hmm. do. With yep. teams, with, teams with roles, teacher and pupil led, and then... The friendly then authentic competition. Really yeah, just
0: keep it, keep it simple because the easier it is for you to, to teach the, oh, yeah. the better it's going to be, essentially, it? And then you uh-huh. can... I think as well, like, you could probably... Like, if you're starting it with, like, an S1 class, then they'll have experience of it. And then if you go on and do it with that class again the next year or whatever, then they've already got the experience then you can make it that wee bit better. Or if you go into another Invasion Games block later down the line, maybe, like, in a different term, then they've already got the experience of it. So it's... It's just constantly refining it, isn't it, and just making it making it better. Yeah. You need to practice at it to get good at it. Essentially,
1: like
2: try it, experiment, and then you get better. Definitely,
1: mm-hmm. I think even better than that, sharing it with the department and making sure it's simple enough for everyone to follow. So then when you get that class next year. They will have experienced it.
2: Yeah. yeah that's what we find in the primary context was one when one teacher was doing it it had this little drip drip so somebody they were going oh, what what are you doing what's that and then mm-hmm. other people got interested and then it starts to spread because it's it's such a good model yeah well,
1: well thanks it. very much Nicola that rounds us off nicely Thank so you. thanks for your time
2: no worries no worries
1: right
0: Clark that takes us to the end of another episode of the podcast this week we had Nicola Carson talking to us about all things sport education and really kind of breaking it down for us into smaller chunks so that we can better understand it and I guess where we can go and find out more information on it so be sure to check that out Um, but as always we've got our takeaway messages from both of the hosts so Clark we'll start with you this week what's your takeaway message today
1: it uh, might actually be down. My understanding of it was that you have to do a lot of thinking into why you're doing it first with your class, what you're looking to achieve out of it, and how you're actually going to achieve that. That's something that I would probably take away from it and give that give that a lot of thought before I go and just start creating resources for the sake of creating resources. Mm-hmm. I actually think, what am I looking to get out of this, and what class, what classes would I target, and what classes might not need that approach and might need a different model. So is it a behaviour thing? Like what you spoke about in the podcast, is it solved a difficult class? Is it a class that are really able, or do you want to maybe we could do a different model with them? So, uh, so it's got me thinking what classes I could use it with. That would be my key t- key takeaway message: is to do hmm. some thinking first rather than just diving in. Yeah, what just it?
0: doing it for the sake of it.
1: Yeah. What would your key takeaway key takeaway message be? Even.
0: Yeah, uh, I like what Nicola was saying about how to. To implement it, way to kind of break down the barriers. Just don't you? There's loads of key features to it. She, she, she spoke about competence, enthusiasm, affiliation, competition. Like there was just so many different features to the full model, um, and it's about just pick certain parts of it. Because although you're not implementing the full thing, you're still getting the quality from the things that you are implementing. You're still hitting so many different things, whether it be benchmarks or. Um, allowing the pupils to experience different areas of the sport that you're, that you're doing it through and creating different teachable moments, I suppose. Um, and then, obviously, when you're thinking about what activity to do, if your school's not particularly a performance-driven school or um, they don't have a lot of experience within sports like football or basketball, don't just stick with the full version of the sport. Get the pupils involved, get it amended so that they can, so it's more inclusive is what I'm saying, level the playing field and try different activities maybe ultimate frisbee or softball and Nicola gave a really good example of what she did with the, the primary school students and um, got them playing the full version of rounders and then got them into smaller groups to mm. think of different ways that they could teach it so that if more people were engaged so they were kind of maximizing the participation um, and then getting them So it was almost like doing a wee co-op learning task so getting right. them to learn their own game and then teaching it to the other groups within their class and I thought that was a really good way of looking at it and Something that I would certainly consider um, with BGE classes, probably a first year class. I would like to, I would like to try that with, and I think that would work really well. Mm-hmm. And it would be suitable just now, especially when we're going to be doing a lot of outside, a lot of outside work because it's the the kind of summer term coming up, and obviously we're outside for COVID reasons. But mm-hmm. no, I think breaking it down, choosing bits that you think you'll be able to um, install successfully, and leveling the playing field would be my take one,
1: messages. I think the good bit about the groups is they can then learn from each other's group and then you as a teacher yeah. can go around and facilitate and you can take the best bits for each group as well mm-hmm. put them in our final game with all the best ingredients for, for aye that's life. it aye
0: sugar, spice and everything nice
1: the variety of the spice of life
0: <laughs> <laughs> no no that's aye, that's good so it's not just using maybe one particular group it's aye, taking taking the best bits st- stealing the best bits from all the, the different groups and no, I like that I think that's, uh, that's
1: a really good idea aye, wee bits of this wee bits of that Wee Bitsy, you'll be be getting called Wee Bitsy in your school. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Bitsy, for your takeaway message. And thanks, everybody else, for listening in. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Wee Bit of Everything podcast. And hopefully what Nicola had to say will resonate with you and you can take one thing back to your school and implement it, just like we are going to do. So, everyone have a great week and we'll catch you soon.
0: Take care.